Hey everyone, welcome back to Free Shipping. I'm your host, Matthias, and today on the show we're continuing our discussions with agencies. I was fortunate enough to grab time with Temu from Shopify Plus agency, Woman. Temu has been the chief commercial officer since 2017 and a partner since the inception of Woman. He's also a two times author, father of three, fly fishing expert, and during our discussion, you'll actually learn how his passion for fly fishing helps create the path of where he is today. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Tamu, really happy to have you on the, the show today. Thank you for having me, Matthias. And how, uh, how's the day going? How's everything up north in, in Finland? It's been a pretty busy day. So I've been back from my holidays for the last few weeks catching up on the different things, uh, doing a lot of customer calls, hopefully getting a few new customers in and kind of building the processes what we're going to redo once again in the business. So busy time. Good. Well, amazing. Well, I appreciate you taking the time then to, uh, to have our conversation. I think our listeners will, will hear a lot and learn a lot. Um, I know we're going to cover quite a gambit today of things. Um, and maybe where I'd like to start is a lot of my guests that I've spoken to, entrepreneurs of various backgrounds, they all have a deep passion. The interesting thing is that your deep passion actually kind of led into your business journey. So before we kind of go down that path, um, you know, for some guests, it's with swimming that I've had, other people have done ultra marathons. Your deep passion is fly fishing, right? It absolutely is. So I think I've had two passions in a way, sports being the other one, but obviously fly fishing, that's defined my life in, in many, many ways over the years. So I've, I think I began fly fishing at the age of 10-ish. I didn't have anybody in my family who was actually fishing, so I don't know how I picked it up, but I started to spend some time on the local river first, then obviously spending all my money around fly fishing. Uh, all the way to the point that I ended up building my own kind of hobby business around Shopify, around fly fishing, and then even wrote a few books about fly fishing over the years. So essentially speaking, you could say that I've at least partly devoted my life around fly fishing. Yeah, I'd say if you've written a book, created a store, uh, that's definitely a chunk of your life to say for sure. It's really interesting to hear that you didn't have any family members. So what's your kind of earliest memory or most vivid point where you're like, wow, this is something that I can really sink my teeth into? Because I think when you grow up, especially as a kid, hobbies come and go, but passions, that's one that is kind of distinct, I feel like, in some sort of memory. So do you have any kind of recollection of one at a certain point? I think it was around the time when I was like eight, nine years old. Uh, I think I saw some magazines or TV shows that the fishing thing kind of looked really cool, something that I absolutely wanted to do. Uh, like later on, I've been thinking that it, it's something that's actually inbuilt in different persons and different people. But it's because I, I see the same signs with my youngest son. He's really passionate about fishing already, and he's six, or he's going to be turning six quite soon. So I, I just saw some pictures, saw some videos there. I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. And then at the time, this was like, I'm, I'm feeling really old mentioning this. This was like late 80s, early 90s. So uh, 
at the time there was no internet, no nothing, obviously. So it was kind of books, magazines, TV shows. And we didn't, uh, I don't know, somebody could have been diagnosed with an ADHD at the time. I think I was like, I was, I was all over the place. And the thing, what the fishing taught me already when I was like eight, nine, 10, I was staying put, I was focusing in the fishing thing. I was kind of making sure that I'm doing everything perfect that I can catch fish. And the best part was that I think I was kind of fishing for in the local river, where I basically started my fishing career. I spent the first two and a half summers without basically catching anything, which kind of really taught me to be patient. That if you want to excel in the sport, if you want to actually catch something, it's not about luck. It's about the patience and kind of you building your skills and, and kind of mindset there. Two years of not catching a fish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people would have given up. Again, um, what what kind of kept you going at such a young age? Because once again, I feel like this is where a lot of times in life you'll be like, uh, I'm interested, but it's just it's too much work. Uh, I really don't know. Like if I if I would have ha- if I had an answer, I would give you one. But it was, I think what always happened was that there was a disappointment after I came home without actually like fighting a fish, hooking a fish, catching nothing. But then the disappointment went away in, in two days and I, I, I was always back at it. I had a new idea what I want to test on the next time that I'm going to be there. Uh, obviously, I wanted to buy a piece of new gear, lures, lines, flies, whatever that I can test on the next trip. And essentially, you, you kind of grow up into fine-tuning the, the way how you actually fish, knowing how the fish are behaving, kind of, it's, I think you could compare it to playing golf in, in a way that you're going to be getting better and better in, in small pieces, like even a full season on, on playing hundreds rounds of, of golf, it's not going to make you a perfect player, but then it, it's the same in fishing, that you can kind of, you can develop, but you can de- develop in, in such a slow speed that you need to be patient, you're taking on small things, one at a time. It's one of those, um, I'm blanking on the author at the moment, but it's kind of, it's an infinite game. It is. You know, you, you will never actually reach mastery to an extent because it will always be evolving. You can't control exactly where a fish is going to go. You can maybe start to learn much like in golf, I think how things are going to act and, yeah. and control the controllables, but because it's in nature, it will, you'll never be able to control all aspects not even close and then there are different spaces you can do freshwater fishing you can do saltwater fly fishing so uh, like at some point when i graduated in the in the basic stuff like trout fishing in the in the Finnish or the nordic rivers i started to travel really a lot so i went to iceland russia uh key west i haven't been fishing in the in the uk rivers that are kind of the birthplace of, of fly fishing. So that's a thing that I'm kind of having on my bucket list. I was actually just slacking to one of my colleagues that we need to do the chalk streams, river test or some of those the next time that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be over. So like there, a single lifetime won't be enough that I would kind of cover everything around fishing, nowhere. For sure. And I think, like I said, we could probably, if we wanted to just spend our time talking about fishing, yeah. you wrote a book and so I think when we spoke offline, you know, you, you became a bit of a name. If you were in the, the, the fly fishing sphere within your world, I think yeah. your name 
was was known amongst other people and i think this is why i wanted to talk about the fly fishing because because your name started to get known in that space you started to meet some people who ended up becoming large our longtime business partners so how i guess how getting your name in that space ended up with you meeting some people that you're working with today i'll try to keep, keep this in a in a way that everybody can follow up so this was back in 2010 2015 i was the head of sales in a, in a retail company here in, in finland kind of running a b2b sales organization uh that was a full-time job a demanding one but then obviously having the passion around fishing kind of made me do a lot of things there so i was writing articles in the magazines uh I was doing lessons for different people, different groups. And I don't remember the year, but at some point I was invited to kind of host this uh, a fly fishing course for these famous TV singer and singers in, in Finland. And then I just kind of became friends with, with one of the managers that there was, and he was really into fly fishing uh, year after. One of the woman founders actually running one of the biggest online retail stores that there are there is in the Nordics. He had an idea that he wants to kind of make fly fishing really easy for everyone. So kind of having kind of a content marketing concept where we're going to do uh, videos, instructions, all types of content on how you can actually kind of learn fly fishing all by yourself. He called the manager that the the, the singer's manager that was like year before on my, my casting lessons, my, my fishing lessons. And then he was right away that there's no way that I can kind of build the whole course all by myself, but I know the guy who can. Uh, so they gave me a call. That's the way that I got connected to one of the, the woman founders, Mika, who, who was kind of obviously one of the key persons that we, we had in, in the company. Like uh, I can, that this always gonna this is gonna end up in in the point that we didn't we weren't in touch with Mika for I think three years, so I took a break from the commercial world. I was actually working as a GM for the biggest volleyball club in Finland. <laughs> so uh, that's that's a whole whole another story as well. So we, we had twins in the family. I was I was pretty burned out without kind of getting enough sleep. I wanted to do something else than like sales and marketing. I was there for two years. Uh, again, got the passion into fly fishing, set up my own company, wrote my first book, built my first Shopify store. At the exact same time, Mika, again, one of the Woolman founders, they just set up Woolman as a company. And I saw their post on LinkedIn that they have a company called Woolman and they're working with Shopify. I was like, that sounds pretty cool that I, I need to call Mika because we haven't been in touch with, uh, in, in three years. And then I didn't have any, like, I just wanted to catch up. Like, what, what are you guys doing? Well, what's the, the business plan here? Like, I've just built my own, own Shopify store. And we had one of the greatest discussions that I've ever had in my life. It went along for an hour. Uh, Mika was so excited in the call and he, during the call, invited that the, the CEO of Woolman to join the call, one of our foreigners as well. Uh, we met one week later, 
I joined the company right away. We were like fully aligned everything what we're what we want to do with the company, where we're uh, how we're going to focus, how we can help the merchants. Okay, so. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that series of events and also the gap of time, maybe from when, yeah. you know, you initially got put in contact, reflecting on it, what surprised you about this whole situation? Well, I think there, there have been occasions that I've been carefully thinking on, on kind of the next plans that I want to have in, in my career. Uh, that was one that wasn't one of them like that was pure luck the timing everything around it it was pure luck but the thing that i remember this was like six and a half years ago was the the kind of the meaning meaningfulness that we had in the conversation the, the kind of the pure desire to help entrepreneurs help merchants everybody had it it's like everybody in the, in the conversation so all of the three women founders me I think we, we had the passion that we want to help other businesses to grow, be more profitable, be more sustainable. That was already there. And you just, you just somehow know that you're going to be in the right place. I immediately knew that this is going to be the next chapter in my life. And this was six and a half years ago. I don't know what's going to happen in the next six and a half, but I knew then. Uh, and sometimes I think you, you might, we might believe we know we're going to be in the next six years. Um, personally, if you would have asked me what five years ago, if I knew where I was going to be at this moment doing this, I would have had no idea. Yeah. Um, so, so woman now is kind of formed. There's the three of you. So yourself, Mika, and what was the, the CEO's name? Yuha is our CEO. And then there was a, a third founder, Dero. And, and I want to be explicit. So I wasn't founding the company. The guys were already set up the company. I just yep. I just tagged along for the ride. <laughs> tagged along, saw a great opportunity. And, and when it first started, you mentioned the passion is really helping entrepreneurs make profitable businesses. So what did, I guess, when you first started out, like, who were you really working with? What did your kind of customer base look like? Yeah. How did you identify who was somebody that you could help, you know, make a profitable large business? In the first two years, like I've, I've told, told everybody the same answer. I think we were basically doing anything with anyone that wanted to do almost anything with Shopify. So we didn't exclude anyone as a customer. But I would say that half of our customers were kind of SME startups. Uh, Shopify they didn't have any kind of a market share in the Nordics at the time. So it was a brand new platform. Uh, I did absolutely give credit for our CTO, one of the founders, Dero. He made one of the smartest choices in his life by like figuring out that Shopify is an upcoming platform from US, from Canada. Uh, he actually basically built our first customer case, Grimfrost, a Viking company from Sweden. They do over 5 million USD in revenue. Uh, he basically built the whole thing by himself and he was overwhelmed by the easiness, what, what the SaaS solution can offer at that point. And his background, like, like Juha's background, was building really complicated solutions with IBM technology. So these guys were working with enterprise clients, projects that were lasting like a year and a half, two years, uh, which were basically obsolete when they were going live with the solution. Uh, they all kind of knew that the platform is, is going to be it's going to be coming here. Uh, 
we didn't have almost any localization. We had local payment options, but one of the first things what we needed to do was that we actually built local uh, shipping options. So we have mm-hmm. a Nordic shipping application that's then integrating into the carrier services we have in the Nordic market. Uh, I think by the networks that everybody had, that the founders and I had, uh, the other people in the company had, we were kind of obtaining the first customers. Most of them were small companies where they knew that they want to do something in e-commerce, but they didn't know what they want to do. So I think Shopify was giving them a easy access on kind of testing and building their first online store. And what surprises us or what surprised me was that we were actually getting pretty big customers. So we were getting retail companies, we were getting quite big brands on kind of already within the first year thinking on re-platforming to Shopify, which was kind of an unknown technology at the time in the Nordics. But then we, I, I think the first two years, two and a half years of, of the company, it was about the volume. So we were working with a lot of customers. Uh, case sizes were, were small. We weren't doing that custom things, but obviously in six and a half years, it, it has changed a lot. Yeah, one can imagine. And I think I'm kind of curious to hear about some of the work that the business has done over time. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, it sounds like, I mean, it's amazing that your founder kind of, let me say this, like talking with a lot of agencies, you will decide depending on the sort of agency you are, but if you are in e-commerce, you will basically put your backbone, it's the heart or your spine, you know, it's the key things that allow you to move into a single technology sometimes, or a few different technologies, yep. I should say, that build it out. Um, and given that you, your CTO had could have ha- had the technical means to probably build something if they wanted, but saw this solution that was quite unknown at the time in the Nordics and said, this is really where I'm placing my bets. Do you remember, were there any sort of like doubts or concerns early on with when you were looking at it, given that it was just it was this Canadian company and it really wasn't Nordic based at all? Uh, in a way, yeah. I think that the warning signs, well, we didn't see hardly anything. because We saw that Shopify is already quite active in the UK market. I think they had something going on in Germany, but nothing in the Nordics yet. So obviously connecting the dots, it's going to be here anytime soon. And one of the smartest decisions we've done over the first year as well was that if there wasn't a good fit with the new customer, the new leads, we we always said no, because like the limitation Shopify had as a product, there was quite a few more than we have now. I think like today you can do almost everything with Shopify at the time. It didn't have like B2B features. Uh, There's still the hundred product variation limit that we're going to have. There was a whole bunch of things. So we basically did a pretty good qualification on all of the new customers that were kind of interested in Shopify that, okay, if you can match these, we're going to be happy to take the, the conversation on the next level. And it's anyway, it's a SaaS technology. So we didn't kind of see a business risk there that the whole platform would all of a sudden disappear somewhere. And the, the pace which Shopify has been picking up new merchants every year, even in the Nordics after the 2000 and what was it, 18, 17. Uh, I think we, we got really confident that it's going to be coming towards even bigger clients, which it has. 
Yeah, and it definitely has. And so it sounds like, you know, like a lot of businesses, you naturally started small. It was more of a volume play. Uh, and at the time, I mean, when you started, it was so the three founders, yourself, like you said, you tagged along for the ride. And I think it was a good, good idea to do so. <laughs> um, wh- what was the, I guess, the agency size at that point? And like, do you remember what the actual team looked like? Yeah, uh, I think within the first year or so, we had around 12 people in the company. So most of them, if you have 12, 12 people in the company, obviously most of them will be doing customer work. Yeah. So we divided the, the group in half. We had the, the people that were working with projects, so kind of onboarding new clients, doing the first build-ups, the implementations. And then we had kind of a continuous service team, which was, if we have 12 people, I think they were like three of us, or three of them at the point. And then I think we were like, doubling the size of the people what we had in the company almost every year so we're, we're almost 100 now uh we were around 100 we, we actually divested a small part of the business that was around netsuit that, that had around 20 people there so during the pandemic i think we hired around 40 new people within uh, to the company which was a lot and then obviously when you have that many people the reflection is that there's going to be bigger customers, more customers coming in, uh, which happened as well. But then I think the biggest change what we've done lately as a business is that we're working still with SMEs, but we're working with bigger and bigger clients. So we have H&M, we have Bosch, we have Mars. So the other half of the business, the other half of the teams are working with these massive clients that are kind of not running their whole online business with Shopify, but they're doing sub-brands or they're doing D2C piloting or they're doing part of their business with Shopify, but obviously they're big accounts. And then the other half of the teams are working with SMEs that are doing anywhere between five and 50 million online, and they have a lot of different needs. But the way how we've structured the business is that there's going to be customer teams from now on. So we don't want to have one team working with the new client for the first few months and then handing over to another team. It's going to be the same team, more or less continuing with the same customer, hopefully for the next five years. And that's something I think I'm kind of curious to dig into just a little bit more is obviously as you scale a business, adding heads in general is not normally the the hard part, but I think adding the right people based on the right strategy is really key. Um, and another thing where I think we spoke about is like, you really love to, to share learnings. And so as you built out your agency on Shopify, how, like, I guess you mentioned, it's a lot of customer facing teams. So is it mainly like non-developers? What did I guess kind of, I guess the question really is how did you kind of scale the team and the sort of roles based on the technology suit suite that you um, decided on? Uh, it's a good question. And I think what has happened is that we've redone the way how we offer our services quite a few times. So we basically divide our services in in three parts. We have development services, we have growth services, so your paid ads, your SEO, your content marketing, all of those. And then we have data services. all the way until basically this summer, this fall, our customers were kind of buying those services from different teams. So if, if they wanted to have development, then they had a development team. If they wanted to buy growth services, they had a growth team. 
if they wanted to buy data services, they had another tape, which kind of made it a bit confusing for the customer that we were kind of having three different uh, kind of account leads working with the same customer. And it's never a perfect world. So none of the account leads were kind of having the, the all, all of the insights that you, you should have from your customer. So we changed this to be kind of coming within the same service. So there's going to be one customer lead that's going to be kind of a service manager, a customer success manager, and they're going to be taking care of everything what the customer wants to do. And they're going to structure the team what they have in place or what the customer needs to have to kind of match the needs what they have. So we can kind of have a few developers, we can have a data guy there, we can have a growth consultation person there based on what the customer actually needs to have. Everything is going to be coming from the CSM or the service manager. And I would be lying if I would say that kind of adding 40 people on the headcount was kind of hassle-free completely. No, it, it, it wasn't. Like part of the company culture from day one has been that we don't have a lot of hierarchy in the company. We don't have middle management. So we're obviously looking for people that can kind of take responsibility, learn, uh, start to understand the customer's business and then work within the team. So kind of be quite, I don't know, self-driving in a, in a way that they can kind of drive the customer's business forward without somebody being kind of always there telling them what to do. Uh, I would say that most of the hires we've done, most of the hires we've done over the years have been like those. Not all of them have. And then especially when you're kind of working in the technology space, I think it's it's a it's a rare thing to find a developer that's gonna be like super techie, can do anything on the tech side, but then can be having a, a great conversation with the customer and explaining everything in in, in layman terms. But then I think our, our team structure is kind of providing a lot of support for everybody in the team theory that there's going to be always like business people, consultants, developers within the same team. So if, if they can share the information, we can then kind of explain it to the customer in a way that everybody's going to be understanding in the, in the same way. Yep. It makes sense. Um, again, yeah, hiring, that's a whole other conversation. It's a really interesting one, but I think I'm curious because a big thing is, we say now, and I think it is true, like failure is actually where you learn the most. Yeah. Um, typically because it's, it sometimes will sting so bad that you go, well, I'm not going to do that again. Um, what's a failure that you yourself within the business or the business maybe made where you're like, Ooh, that was tough, but actually coming out on the other side was a big learning. That's a really, really good question. Uh, We've had a had a saying in, in the business that if we want to test out something new, we're going to ask two questions, or actually one. Is somebody going to go jail if we fail? And if the answer is no, then we're going to go ahead and try it. I don't know that we've had kind of a single failure at any point. We've just tested out so many different things. So we built custom apps. We've changed our pricing 10 different times. We've structured our services in four different ways, all, all in six and a half years. Uh, we have our theme business now. We have the shipping application. I think what I'm expecting that's going to happen 
in the future. And this is me speaking. This is not the company strategy <laughs> at the moment. Is that we're going to probably consolidate our services, all, all things, what we have going on at, at this moment, because there's a lot of things going on. Uh, none of them, in, from my point of view, have been failures. They've been helping us to move the business forward at the time that the product or the service was created. If we think what's happened with Shopify in this last six and a half years, what, have, what has happened in e-commerce in the last six and a half years, what's happened globally with the consumer market in the last six and a half years, I think we've made the right decision on kind of testing on all of these different things from the apps to the themes on the different services, on the different pricing that had been a good fit at the time, but might not, might not be anymore in, in six months or a year and a half. So I don't want to like point out that there's been failures over there or there. It, it, like everything what we do, it's going to be based on the information we have available at that specific time. Yeah. And I think that's a general theme that's important, I think, to know in life is that you might make a decision or you might even have someone you know that realistically kind of it's a friendship and or that that business decision you made at the time, like you're saying, it served the right purpose at that time. Now, exactly. in the future, you might realize this no longer makes sense. And I guess you could you could spin it both ways. Some people might say, well, that's a failure because it wasn't a long term success. Or you could go, well, no, it was a learning and it was, again, it was good for us at that time, but we are going to evolve. And I think naturally in life, evolution in various ways will show up. And it's probably more so actually, it's probably more of a failure if you decide, well, we built it, we got to hold on to it. I fully agree. And then I think personally speaking, uh, being a father of three, having twins, uh, not sleeping for two years. The thing that I've, I've been practicing and starting to be really good at is, is the subtle art of not giving a fuck. So, <laughs> like, which means that I care. I care of all of our customers. I care of all of my employees. But, like, if, if you have a look at my calendar, if you have a look of all of the things that are on my table, I can pick 25% of them and I know that we can do good in those. And then, and then I just need to be confident enough that there's going to be somebody else in the team that's going to be picking up the rest. And I think one of the beauties with what we have in the company culture is that most of the time it works. There's kind of a lot of people that want to take the responsibility. They're, they're active on taking on new things. And that's actually one, one of the failures that I could mention. There, there's always something that somebody forgets. It's typically me, but there's always somebody who's going to forget something. Yeah, it's only uh, it's only human uh, to have slip ups occasionally. Um, you, earlier, you mentioned something around consolidation, which I definitely want to talk about on the technology side because I know you and I spoke about this, and yeah. I think um, curious to hear the trends. But I, I think the last thing around kind of woman is where where is woman at now? Like, where would you say the focus is moving forward? Because from an outside in perspective, there's quite a lot going on. Yeah. Um, a shameless plug, you guys have your own podcast, which I'd highly recommend people listen to actually, because there's really good insights, but you've, you've done a lot and like what, what's, yeah, what's the focus now outside of the core things of obviously helping businesses grow, become profitable, 
you're doing this now with bigger customers. Yeah. Um, you mentioned consolidation maybe of services over time, but what is what does that look like for you? Well, um, I'm, I'm pretty happy where we are as a business at the moment. So we're kind of attracting a decent amount of new customers, but most of them are starting to be pretty big. So kind of officially speaking, the, the goal what we have is that we're going to be working with global brands primarily. We're going to be still working with SME. So we won't do a, a switch overnight and we're going to say goodbye to all of our existing clients now. But I think we're going to be focusing on the on the bigger clientele. And that's mostly because we see Shopify evolving as a technology towards bigger and bigger companies. And we want to be there. Uh, second point is that we, we're kind of, we've been building our services and the business intelligence solution, LS Insights, to kind of match our services. Well, so what we can essentially do is that we can kind of build I don't know how well you know OKRs, but we can kind of build objectives and key results together with our customers for every single quarter. And we can kind of make sure that all services are going to be matching those objectives, what the customer has. And we can measure everything, what we deliver and, and how does the customer's business perform. So I think what I'm kind of hoping that we would achieve by the end of this year already, that we would kind of have a playbook, a framework that we can kind of guide any kind, almost any kind of, or even any size of a customer to perform better, build more profitable business, build a growing business. And one value that I would love to add in the conversation is the sustainability point of view. So for the last year, we've been working a lot in the, in the sustainability space, uh, mostly defining what the sustainable commerce could actually look like. So we're piloting on secondhand things with our customers. We're kind of testing out different things on how we can actually achieve more sustainability with our customers. I want to be, I'm always happy to publicly speak about the sustainability aspect because I don't think that you need to be perfect from day one. I think it's better that we start thinking as a community first, that okay, if we can reduce the returns, what else we can do? Can, can we find better fitting customers for the brand? Uh, does it make sense to ship in all of these countries? Uh, I think that the quote unquote was that the, I think it went in a way that the most successful companies in the future, they're gonna be still making money but they're going to be making the, the, the planet to be better for all of us. And I think that's a statement that I really kind of would want to aim for with some of our customers, that we can kind of have a, a great business in terms of the numbers, but there's kind of a, a bigger value behind there. We can kind of improve the quality of life. I don't know, like in, in real life, I really don't know what that actually means. But like if we can take even the small smallest steps towards there, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, it's, I think the theme of 1% better every single day adds up, especially if you do it at scale. And um, yeah, I mean, if we can make commerce better for everyone in every aspect and make it easier, but while not diminishing the place that we call home, ultimately, it's a win-win. And I think it, it can, that can be easier said than done. But I would say as well, I think it is, we're seeing more and more brands 
taking that into the forefront and thinking about how to do it. And that, that really is the first step. And then I think having though agencies like yourself work with them to just be like, what's one thing you can start to do tomorrow that isn't going to diminish your business backwards in your margins, but will help with this mission in long term. And I think that's the other thing too, sometimes that probably is easier said than done is that's a long term mission. Yeah. And it's very easy to maybe focus on the short term of, I just want to increase my AOV. And if I can do that by X, I don't really care. Like, not to say people don't care how it gets done, but if you could double it over a span of, you know, six months, but maybe it has negative impact on other things, sometimes people will look at that that short term win. And that, again, this is a, another version, I guess, of an infinite game, or at least we hope it's one that's infinite. <laughs> That, that, that's a good point. Maybe that's the reason why I'm, I'm so passionate about it as well. And I know that I won't be, or we won't be perfecting it at any point soon. So there, there's, there's always a lot of things that we can cover, a lot of things that we can do better. But I'm, I'm more than confident that the consumer demand is already there. Like if we have a look on the second hand things, what we've done, they're really picking up. Like in, in the Nordic markets. There's fashion, there's jewelry, there's watches, there's uh, cameras. The second-hand market is, is already really picking up. Uh, pre-orders or, or made-to-order, even better. Clothing companies, they can be asking for a higher price, having a better margin. They just manufacture everything after the order happens. No waste, no nothing. We, we already know that it's going to be picking up. Uh, I could like I have a long list of examples that I can share them. <laughs> We, we can do it at, at some point later, but like, I, I really think that it's not a niche anymore. Like if, if you're not thinking about these options, you're, you're kind of 10 years behind. I think this is, this is the new standard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very much agree. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about technology before we kind of wrap up, I'd be curious from maybe just from your time at woman in the past six years, like, I guess it's a question for yourself, but also for anyone who's listening, who runs an agency, who's just starting out an agency, like what's, what's something that you would tell yourself now that, you know, now, if you were just starting six years ago, that's a good question. Uh, I would buy Shopify shares. Shopify shares. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's the biggest mistake we've, we've done. Uh, I've, I've. <laughs> talked this over with our CTO so many times that only if we would have any money six and a half years ago, investing those in Shopify shares, it would have been, we could have retired. But uh, that's a good question. I think essentially speaking, my main advice would be that kind of stick to the big and emboldened and ambitious goal what do you have as a, as a business so even though then we kind of stated quite early on internally speaking with with the founders with all of the partners we had in the business that this is the kind of the the visualization what we're kind of planning to have in the next year so we're going to have a, a agency business with the services and we're going to have our digital products like apps and themes i think in, in a way, we're already there. There's been times over the six and a half years that, that we kind of reconsider that do we have the, the cash flow? Do we have the, the manpower? Do we have the skills? Do we have the 
uh, the woman brand already so well known that we can actually achieve all of these goals. So we've kind of had the hesitations. But I think having those bigger goals are going to have you, well, they're going to put you back on the track at, at some point. They can keep changing, you can kind of reevaluate them. But if you kind of, if you don't, if you don't aim high enough, I don't think that you're going to ever end up there without being super lucky. And then we've had a lot of luck over the years, but then I think we were really ambitious of the plans, what we, what, what we want to achieve in, in quite a short of period of time where Shopify didn't have any marketing here. We were doing all of the marketing, all of the outbound activities, kind of building the market first and then kind of finally getting the business to us and now kind of getting global customers all around the world. Cool. Uh, I think it, I think it is really important. Yeah. To have, to have that long-term strategy or goal in mind. And especially when I think things maybe are moving very fast or becoming a bit chaotic to kind of look at what is that North star, let's say, and yeah. not get too far from it and think, how does this action feed into that North star? Again, I feel like there is this ongoing theme with our conversation, which we didn't talk about offline, but kind of, again, of infinite games. Like yeah. you don't want something that is just going to get you from point A to point B. It's how does it get me from point A to point Z or whatever it is? And and what's the journey along the way? Um, and that's very much, I mean, a general thing in life too. Uh, it, it absolutely. I like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm going to grow up. It's going to be around businesses, around fly fishing, but I kind of, I really embrace the journey. I think that's the biggest journey that I've, I'm getting close to being middle-aged. So you, you <laughs> kind of, you, you look back on things, but uh, I think I'm really enjoying most of my days here in the, in the office, working with like one, some of the coolest brands in the world. Yeah. And then you, you never know that what's going to happen during the day, even though you have the meetings book, you're going to get like a, a call somewhere, it's going to be a new opportunity. You're going to have a, a fire that you need, you need to put up somewhere. I think that excitement and kind of the, the possibility that we can kind of do big things in the world with the clients, what we already have, hopefully those being sustainable, it's going to, it's driving me forward much more than I was expecting like a few years ago. And working with those bigger clients, kind of segueing a little bit, I don't want to touch on technology just for a few minutes. Um, so you, you've made a big bet on Shopify. You're fully down on it, which is great. I'm curious, um, like when you look at new technologies that may benefit your merchants, how do you consider them? Like, how do you kind of go out and test? Cause it sounds like testing is a big thing that, that you as a business do. I'm wondering how do you look at kind of testing new technologies? How do you keep an eye out for what's on the market? Um, because I think it's something that, you know, we're seeing across the board is technology is democratized so much, yep. but as well, whether you're a merchant or an agency, there can sometimes be so much choice that it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, how, how do you, how, how do you think about that? How does the agency think about it? either way well i think it's it's more kind of the the tech guys and in, in the company and, and my feeling would be that we're maybe a bit conservative when it comes to new technology in a way that obviously we have shopify as the core but 
overall, in, in the first few years when we didn't have the kind of the headcount in the company, we were relying a lot on the third party. So if there was a custom feature that needed to be done on the on the storefront, I think we were kind of obviously looking on different apps if they can solve the issue. Uh, which kind of evolved to the point that we're kind of now having just a few selected partners that we actively work with, like Klaviyo, Yotko, Klebu, Nosto, some of the kind of the, the market standard applications, all mm-hmm. softwares. I don't want to call them apps because they offer a massive service. It's almost as big as, as, big as, as Shopify. And then I think I would say that we're conservative in a way that typically the demand is actually coming first from the customer, that they want to do mm. this, they have an idea. And then I think we're, we're going to go and Google it. <laughs> oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see what's on the market. We're going to speak with the third parties or the partners, what we already know. And I think one of the options, what we currently do quite often is that we're going to custom build it. So yep. we can do a custom application. We can do really complicated stuff with the, with the new online store 2.0 storefronts or kind of custom code anything there so uh, and i think it reflects to the customer base what we have even though that we have big companies that the business is what they run yeah there might be custom features there but i don't think that they're kind of doing the most complicated business in terms of how e-commerce businesses are typically set up so kind of that the way how they're growing, that the way how they're being more profitable is that they're going to kind of improve their basic business like one step at a time. It's yeah. not going to be that there's going to be an, a magic AI tool that's going to overnight change everything. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm blubbering a lot, but we're kind of picky, we're conservative on our kind of new technology. Fair enough. But I also like the humility and the, the truth that a lot of times too, customers, merchants, however you call it, they will be sometimes the one that will find something new and they come to you and they go, Hey, we're curious about this. What do you think? And then you're like, it's a good question. Let me go get it. Let me go get uh, an opinion on that. And you go through the process, but I think it's sometimes easy to fall into, uh, yeah, we, we know it all, but actually in this landscape now it's next to impossible to stay on top of everything that's happening. Um, which is a big thing. And, yeah, so I think that's that's one big thing. The other thing I was curious about, if you're comfortable sharing, was kind of what your what's your hot take? Like, where do you see all this technology and e-commerce going in the next few years? Well, I haven't been looking that much on, on competitor technology. So, like, I've, obviously, we've worked only with Shopify and Shopify Plus for the last six and a half years. Uh, I have a really good feeling that we're going to be seeing real enterprise clients that are not based on in us only coming to shopify in the next year already so we know that there's going to be updates around payments there's going to be we already have shopify markets just made a post today in linkedin about kind of the cool things what you can do with the shopify cms you can even localize the content in the solution now so we can do uh, local, we can do different currencies, we can do different languages, we can do uh, custom catalogs for different markets, and now we can even customize the content. So we're kind of having an enterprise level CMS with the pricing and, and the languages already. So there's no hesitation in my mind that we're going to actually 
maybe partly by accident, we're going to attract bigger and bigger customers. By accident, I mean that I don't think the Tobys or the, the guys originally were kind of planning to build Shopify to host companies that are doing billions online, but we're almost already there. My only concern at the moment is kind of how the ecosystem will be supporting or fighting against each other when we're going to be within the enterprise. So I've, I've laid the idea for some of our key partners that how do you say this, that when you have companies doing hundreds of millions, even a billion online coming to Shopify, I don't think that they want to pick single applications that they want to have within their Shopify store. They want to do it in a way how they've been doing doing it for the last 20 years. They want to have a marketing stack. They want to have another whole suite of, of kind of services coming from the same provider. We already see the change happening with, I don't want to mention the names of the apps <laughs> of the third parties, but they know who I'm referring to that are kind of building a lot of new products in their portfolio as, as we go along. And my concern is that they're going to be soon fighting against other third parties that they haven't been doing. Kind of one of the beauties of Shopify from day one has been the ecosystem. The, the ability that you can pick a email marketing system, you can pick a product review system, uh, you can pick a loyalty solution, a, a bundle application. Obviously, everybody knows that they're integrated into Shopify, but what surprised me was that they were integrated with each other. Uh, the email marketing solution can read the information from the reviews or vice versa. And if we're going to see kind of this consolidation in the market, they're, they're going to build their own marketing stack. My concern is that they're going to close their API. So they're going to fight against the player that they were kind of handing the information over previously. So I might be wrong. I'm, I'm typically not, but I, I might be in this case because it's, it's hypothetical. But that's kind of the only concern that I'd say for the for the near future with, with Shopify. Okay. So it sounds like kind of in summary, specifically when we're thinking or when you're maybe considering and thinking about the enterprise space, that the the size of customers and the opportunity might bring businesses to focus more on building kind of a all-encompassing enterprise solution and not yeah. maybe as focused on a best in class or ecosystem based solution. And that, you know, as I think, again, not naming companies, but I think we know a lot that do that. And yeah. the reality is with a trend with that sometimes, and, and I could see this as just from my personal view, the ease of it for emerging is they get everything in one place. Yeah. The, the downfall though, is often companies are very good at a few things, yeah. not at a lot of things. Now that we think it, this might actually open up the opportunity for new app providers that they can kind of take the, the place that the, the now big company used to have when they were having just a single product. Because what's the number now? Shopify is having what, two and a half million merchants globally, around three, somewhere around there. Uh, if I'm building kind of an enterprise level marketing stack, for Shopify, I think it's going to be working for, I don't know, it's going to be a good fit for 10,000 Shopify merchants, plus merchants. We're going to have then 2.99 million merchants that want to have 
just an email part of it or just the, the bundled part of it or whatever it's going to be. So maybe, maybe this is the answer right here, that this is part of the evolution, that some of the, the third parties, they're going to build their enterprise stacks, but there's going to be new providers coming up with the solutions for the SMEs. I don't know. It's a good call. I mean, they're two very different ends of the market and time will tell. Um, but as we kind of, I guess, wrap things up here, I mean, we, we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered from fly fishing as a youth to how that, you know, ultimately introduced you to your business partners, which now you've been working with for the past six, six and a half years, the growth of your agency, kind of how you've roughly structured it down to trends in technology. So I guess to kind of come full circle back to the fly fishing, there's been two books. A yep. third book is on the way. Yeah. So I forgot to mention, but the, the, the hobby business that I, I built again years ago with Shopify, I sold the business last fall. So having or working as the CCO here, having three kids, uh, coaching football, football in my spare time or soccer, it, it's football over here. Uh, I couldn't do everything anymore. So I, I actually sold that, the kind of the fly fishing business, but I've been working with acquisitions. I've been part of company acquisition. So I needed, I can structure a pretty good deal when I'm going to sell the business. So mm -hmm. I basically have a, have a, I think a buyout clause is, is a, is a way too fancy term for this, but I'm uh, obligated to write a third book, but then I'm going to be paid by the copies that I'm going to be selling the book. And I'm supposed to do it by the end of next year. So there's going to be a third copy or third book coming, hopefully at some point next year. I haven't even started it yet. So <laughs> that was going to be my next question. <laughs> so I guess we'll keep an eye out. And by chance, if somehow this ends up picking up any of the fly fishing community, I'm sure they'll hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> They, they do. I, yeah, I might've mentioned it publicly already somewhere, but now it's, it's, it's going to be all, all, all the millions of listeners that are going to be tuning this to tuning into this podcast podcast. are going to be holding me to the promise. So holding you, holding yeah. you accountable. And, um, the last question, which I've been asking every single guest is, um, one kind of looking forward but also looking back and it's ultimately when you retired you know wherever you want to be living it could be in the mountains it could be on the beach i think wherever kind of paradise is for you yeah when you look back what how would you say you've defined your success like what what is success will what will have success looked like to you in your life uh it's a, it's a really philosophical question. I think I have two sides there. Uh, I think kind of the, the, the meaning of money is getting to be less and less the older that I get, but there's kind of the aspect of freedom that I've been thinking about that if you can kind of, you can have a, a bit of savings, then I think essentially you're going to have a bit more freedom, what you can do. Like, I don't want to buy an expensive car. I'm unhappy with the the one that I had, which isn't like anything really cool, but then like having, oh. so 
having a bit more freedom in, in a way that I can maybe work a bit less. I can kind of invest in some of the cool ventures that I've seen in the years, uh, provide support for all of my kids. I think that's going to be the other part. And the other half, if, we, if that's kind of the financial aspect, the other half obviously is, is kind of the, the thing that I wouldn't be telling my kids stories in, in 20 years that some of the coolest sustainable companies that hopefully are global brands in 20 years, I can be telling them stories that I was actually helping them on, on 2022, 2024, 2025. And we were kind of taking the first steps on redoing how the business is actually done online, offline, wherever. And I think that's, if I needed to pick either one of them, I would pick the latter. Like this is this is honest speaking. Like I really want to be doing something I can be really proud of, and my kids, my kids can be proud of as well. That's amazing, and I think um, you know every guest has something a different way of looking at it. Um, I like that you cover both sides of it. But Temu, I really appreciate you again taking the time. Um, to talk through this. I mean, I feel like every single guest I learned something, but definitely learned something from you today. Um, and yeah, I just, again, uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll speaking again soon. Who knows? There could be another conversation that's a deep dive specifically on fly fishing if we ever get to that route. But up until then, um, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Cheers. It was a pleasure. Cheers. And that was Temu from Woman. I really enjoyed this discussion because the idea of infinite games came up quite naturally. The author I was thinking about and forgot his name at the time was Simon Sinek. And whenever I finish conversations um, on this show, I always will have a moment of reflection and a takeaway. And I think for this one, it's really about the importance of having various infinite games going on. And actually these infinite games are the ones that will forever continue to care about, will be those true passions and those drivers in life. So I think it's something interesting for everyone to reflect on. And until next time, my name is Matthias, and thanks for listening to Free Shipping.